Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Erica. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Grace Presbyterian. Also, welcome to 2022. Glad you're here. Glad I'm here. Um, we, uh, if you are just visiting us this morning or maybe joining us online as the year starts, I uh, want to just give a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve, um, and we are grateful that you are joining us here this morning. As Erica just read, we will be in James chapter 2 this morning, and um, you probably have picked this up. Uh, we kind of have two sermon series going at the same time. We have a primary one. And when that one is either transitioning into a new primary one, we have a secondary one, and that's been the book of James that we've been looking at uh, over the last probably six months or so. So we've made it to chapter two, and uh, I'm excited to be in chapter two with you this morning as, as we uh, have just read. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon and uh, hoping that you guys had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, um, we had a bit of sickness in our house, and so I had a lot of time to think and reflect on uh, what this would be. As you begin to read chapter 2 of, of James, uh, it stands out to me, as I'm sure it, it, it potentially stood out to you as, as Erica was just reading, um, the, the issues that James is writing to the early church, to the early gathering of, of God's people who had their faith in Christ, were dealing with some of the same things that you and I face today in 2022. Um, we're going to get into those in a moment, but um, in God's providence... As we look at James 2, not only are there, there are things that we deal with in our churches today or deal with as people today uh, following Christ, but also the very things as we move into this new year, um, as Will had pointed out, making resolutions and maybe goals for this year or, or how you hope that this year will go uh, for you personally or your family or your business or whatever may have you. We're pointed to this, this piece of scripture where James is bringing us a correction, first off, but also giving us the reality of how the gospel changes our hearts to live. How the gospel changes our hearts to live. And, and fitting that it's the first Sunday of 2022 where uh, many of us are making maybe those, those thoughts or at least have had those thoughts over the last couple of days of man, I, I hope this for this year. I am praying that this would change in my life this year. James is giving us some practical, practical uh, 
change practical theology in a sense of saying this is how when you know Christ this is what it looks like to live it out and that's what we're going to get into this morning so um, would you pray with me and then we will we'll jump into to the first verse Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people that we have here at Grace. Lord, thank you for those that are visiting and those that are joining us online um, for the travel and the, uh, the excitement of the last week or two um, of both celebrating your birth and your coming here to this world uh, and also celebrating newness and the reality of, of starting again. And God, it reminds us of, of your faithfulness to us. It reminds us of the reality that uh, your mercy is new to us each morning. Uh, Lord, that you never grow tired of us or weary or throw us to the side, but you have committed to us through sending your son to save us and your Holy Spirit as a deposit to remain in us, guaranteeing us eternal life. And so this morning, Lord, we come and we, we praise you. We pray that your word would be clear this morning and that your Holy Spirit would open our ears and our eyes spiritually to see and to, uh, to be challenged and to grow. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, verse one, as we see, as I, I said just a moment ago, James starts with a command. And James starts with this command right off the bat as we go into, into chapter 2, and he says, My brothers, show no partiality. You could read that as, show no favoritism. Do not discriminate. Okay? Um, as you can see, we're already probably tweaking a little bit of where our country and our world has been uh, in the last couple years. Again, James is writing to the early church, but this is applicable and, it, and, and, and it, it gives us direction today as we read and hear the word. He says, brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no favoritism. Show no partiality. Do not discriminate as you are following Jesus. We're going to talk about this more, but the, the question is, well, well, why? Why not? Uh, we have a lot of these distinctions in our world that, that the way we grew up or, or what we've always known or this is just how we do it. This is how it's always been. A lot of these lines have been planted in our minds, and James is challenging from the get-go to these early followers of Jesus that those lines don't apply to you now that you're in Christ. He goes on and he gives a case study in verse 2. So look at verse 2 through 4 with me. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... They're growing together in Christ. They're new uh, believers. They're, they're coming together and fellowshipping. We've seen this in Acts chapter 2. They shared all things in common. This is the group that he's writing to, but there's a problem. There's something going on that's not right. The world has creeped into this sweet fellowship. And he says, if there's a man wearing a gold ring and he comes in with fine clothes to your assembly and then a poor man in shabby clothes, clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there, or if you want to sit down, sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
James is addressing something that you and I deal with today. This is not a 2,000-year-old rebuke uh, to these early Christians that somehow we have moved ourselves past this, but that you and I deal with today, both in this church at Grace Prez and out of this church as God's people, is we deal with the, the me mentality. We live in a world that our flesh, apart from God, when we turned away from God, we put ourselves on the kingdom, on the throne, and we live like that. Even as born-again followers of Christ, we battle against the flesh in this reality that I want to live my life the way I want to live, and I want to get as much out of my life. Even in terms of success, we chase this me mentality living of going, I want to be the center. I want to be great in what I do. And we take maybe this good, uh, this good thought of wanting to glorify God and, 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 and do life and live, in, whether it be through our career or through our relationships, and, and do it in a great way to go, we want it to be great, not usually to glorify God, but so that we are seen and lifted up high. James is getting at this by giving this case study of these two subjects that come in. And what do we see? The outward appearance is the only difference between these two that have come in the, the room. He doesn't give us any explanation on their character, even their beliefs. He just says, one looks like this and one looks like that. And because of that, one gets shown favoritism and one gets shown the corner. How does this relate to this me mentality that I'm talking about? You and I struggle with the reality of wanting to gain reputation and wanting to gain prominence in this world. We do. We struggle with it. And it's okay to admit that we struggle with it. We want to be known and we want to be loved and we want to be seen as important. And so how this flushes itself out, is, and those aren't bad desires. In fact, I believe God created us with those desires to be known and to be loved. But we look to other things other than God to give us satisfaction and, and to satisfy those desires. And we see it here as this man comes in who's rich. We assume he's wealthy, he's prominent. And so the usher greets him and he takes what has been taught to him in the world in, in the distinctions and lines of going, this man must be wealthy. This man must have some sort of power. This man must be able to benefit me in some form or fashion. I may be able to rise in the ranks. This may be good for our church if this person is seen in a prominent position or a prominent seat in our church. And we take what is what is seen as success in the world, and we apply that and bring that into our church. And James is saying, do not live in that way. Do not fall for those shallow forms of distinction. Because as you come in, you look at that and you go, I may be able to gain from this man. The poor man comes in and you look at him and, and it says shabby clothing. It doesn't necessarily mean he's coming in in rags and is dirty faced or anything. It just means that, that he has clothing on that's probably some kind of humble attire that matches his place in the world society. 
But when he comes in, he's not met with the love and the excitement of, of greeting and seating in the best and, and giving of the best. He's, he's met with, you can stand over here in the corner in an unassuming place, or you can sit down on the floor because we're going to save the seats for the, for the more prominent. In our church, as we look at this example, we have places... Uh, of both sides of this spectrum. We have people that, are, that would maybe fall into the category of coming through the door with the gold ring and the fine clothing. And we have folks that would come through the door in maybe more modest apparel and, and more what, would, what James says, shabby clothing here. And the, the reality that James is getting at is just as it was important for the early church to not look at that distinction and then create how you treat them, that is just as important today at Grace Prez. As whoever walks through the door, we would look to them and see them, as I believe James is, is giving in this analogy, of giving them the, the reality that they're one of God's favorites. That God actually created that person in his image. And for that reason alone, they're worthy to be treated well, to be treated with kindness, and to be treated um, with integrity. And so James lays this out, and he lays out this reality of going out of a lot of times, maybe our self-promotion, or out of a lot of times, what we think will, 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 will grow our church or will, will put us in a better standing in our community or maybe even just a better standing in our social circles, we tend to cater to those that we think will benefit us. And you have to ask the question, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that thinking? And I think James, as we keep going with this, we will see this. But one of the things that's glaring as we look at this kind of thinking, as we look at this kind of, of behavior, is the reality that this is a direct violation of God's grace. When, when we live inside of the church, and I, I am speaking, as James is speaking to the early church, I am speaking now to us as followers of Christ. Uh, this would be hard to assume someone that, that's, life, that's life has not been changed by Jesus to be able to, to see and live out the way of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So I'm speaking to the church just as James is, but this is a direct violation of God's grace. Well, how? When we look at Jesus, when we look at what God has done for us, it's a misunderstanding of the grace of God and how God works. Where we're, oftentimes we see in Jesus's life where he takes what the world says and he turns it upside down. You've maybe heard of this before, right? This, this upside down teaching uh, that Jesus does is, is he takes what sinful man through generations and, and rebellion against God and, 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 and searching for significance in their own, in their own self-pleasure have, have made up different uh, distinctions, different rules, different um, priorities that differ from what God actually teaches us. And this is one of those things that Jesus turns upside down and James is teaching this is that we are missing the fact that God put on skin 
that there was no one greater than God that he could appeal to. He is the infinite all in all. He is the holy one, the truth that he put on skin and actually moved down the chain to come to you and I. The early church and you and I missed this, that, that when, we show, when we show favoritism or when we show... Um, we show favoritism or when we show partiality to those, we are missing the gospel that God put on skin and moved towards you and I, sinners just like us. We are missing the fact that God humbled himself and moved into the brokenness of our lives and then hung on a tree and even to the point of death that he gave us the lesser in order to give us all of himself so that we could experience him and him to the full. So, and one of the ways that this is missing the point is that it misses the gospel, but the other, the other place is that it misses what Christ has built with his church. It's missing that, that Jesus made one unified body in his people. Paul talks about this in, in uh, the New Testament. We, we see Paul discussing the body, and we, we see him discussing that there's, there's many parts of the body, but it all makes up one body, and, and that, that this part of the body is not more important than this part of the body, but they all work together as one body to present themselves as one powerful body. James is saying, by doing this, by showing this partiality, you are missing the reality that God has come through the work of Jesus Christ to gather his children and there is no hierarchy that is put in place of who God is that, uh, or of who God's people are. There is no hierarchy that's placed in saying that you are greater than him in the in the kingdom of God, or that she is greater than him in the kingdom of God. He has called you and has saved you just as he has saved the other one from sin. You and I are just as guilty and his blood has shed and covered, was shed and covered over us to save us in just the same way. And the priorities or the distinctions of this world that, that may be holds up success and says, well, this person has achieved more than this person. Or this woman has achieved less than this woman. Those things don't apply into the family of God. They don't translate into the family of God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and yet we in Christ have all been saved by the same Lord through the same work. But by doing this, you are causing, you are taking worldly thoughts of success and you are imposing them and you are placing them into the church. And in doing that, you are missing the gospel and you're missing that you are called to love one another as one body. And he goes on in verse five and he says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. 
Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into the courts? Are they, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name to which you were called? God's economy and his governing of his church, as we said just a moment ago, don't work by external factors, but they look to the inside, the internal things. That is what God looks at at the person, as we talked about before. The only distinction that James makes uh, between these two folks in this case study to, this, to these early believers is the fact that of, of their external appearance. There's nothing said of their internal appearance or their, of what they believe, of who they are. And James is making the point, isn't it the rich and powerful in our society right now that are the ones that are pressing their thumb down on us as the early church? Isn't it the rich and the powerful ones in our society that are actually dragging us into court and squeezing us out everything that they can get from us? Aren't they the ones that are persecuting you? Yet you are going to act like them inside of the body of Christ. That doesn't make sense. The very ones that are acting in such a way that are hurting us is the very character and the very the, the traits that you're taking and bringing into this new fellowship. This is not the way God works. And to be honest, this is foreign to God and his people, this kind of behavior. This goes against who God is, as we just saw with how he demonstrates his love to us in the, in the gospel through the person of Jesus. But let's not stop there for a moment. And I, I want to I read something that R.C. Sproul wrote on this passage. Um, because I, I, I want us to move past simply talking about um, wealth or power. Because I believe James is getting to a much deeper point than simply if, if a person has wealth and they dress in a way that looks wealthy. Or if a person has wealth or doesn't have wealth and dresses in a place. I think James is pushing past just the external appearance in this purposefully for us to have our hearts challenged and for our hearts to be confronted with the gospel in this. R.C. Sproul says of this, um, of, of James writing this uh, case study here and what he's getting at, he says uh, this in his study Bible and just some of his notes. He says, the text does not warrant any form of poverty mysticism. You could read this and go, well, then I shouldn't dress nice or I, I shouldn't have a gold ring or I, I, I shouldn't have an appearance that, that, that shows any kind of wealth or anything. And he's saying, the text does not warrant any form of poverty mysticism by which poverty in itself renders a person good. This is not rich people are bad and, and poor people are good. That's not what James's point in teaching this is. He's using these extreme situations to speak to your heart and my heart about the reality that we are not to put hierarchies and divisions inside of the body of Christ, that Christ has come for sinners, to which Paul says he is the greatest of sinners, 
to bring them into God's family where there is love and unity and there is one body. And so let's expand this a bit and, and talk about the things that um, maybe you would put on this list. I would definitely put on this list of things that I can have judgments on God's people about. One is uh, education level. We do this in our church today. Paul, or, uh, James uses one that was, was prevalent in his day, and that's, that's of, of wealth and power, and then, and then of lack of wealth and power. But we can do the same thing with when we say education level. We can look to think others and give them a greater seat at the table for the higher of degree that they hold rather than the lower degree. We can do the same thing about career choice. You work with your hands. I work with my mind. We can do the same thing with the color of someone's skin or the skin tone. Uh, the darker the skin, you may have this judgment. The lighter the skin, you may have this judgment. We do the same thing. This is what James is talking about. It has to penetrate our heart, these distinctions we're making. We can do the same thing with gender. I think men can do this much better than women, and I think women can do this much better than men. We can do the same thing with how someone speaks, the words they choose to use the accent that they have. We can think that they are either smart or they're dumb. We do this with what part of the country you're from. And we have judgments based on that. We have judgments based on what country you are from or how well you can speak my, my, my language. What James is saying is this is a deep-seated, me-focused life that, you, that we have to confront as God changes us. Paul writes to the Corinthians that, that when we became Christians, when we saw Jesus and we saw our sin and we saw our reality that we needed a savior, Jesus, and we put our trust in Jesus to save us, that we have entered into a new life, that the old life is gone and the new life has come. That's what he tells them. You're a new creation. You've been renewed and you are now a new creation and you are different than who you were five minutes ago. That means that things like, well, that's just how I was raised or, well, that's how it always has been or, well, that's just what we do. That kind of thinking, if that is a part of the old life, it is gone. Paul says, the new life has come and your mind and your heart have been renewed to think and to learn and to live in the, the kingdom of God ways. And James is saying that to distinguish, to show favoritism, to show partiality in anything that's, that's, uh, that, that is different than simply holy and unholy or righteous and unrighteous is sin. Listen to what he says in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. Now, before we go to verse 10, you've got to realize James is putting his foot down here and he's teaching us, listen, to bring partiality and favoritism into God's people is sin. And you may look at it and go, 
well, it's not murder. I mean, I haven't killed anybody. I'm faithful to my spouse. I haven't, and James, kind of foreseeing these conversations coming, goes, no, 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 listen, listen. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all, of all the law. You've, we failed at all the law when we failed just one. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to, to one who has shown no mercy triumphs, or mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is telling us here, what we're learning is for us to live creating lines of partiality that are drawn in from the world and applying it to God's people is sin. And the reality of that sin is it points us to realize that you and I need a savior. Because I would imagine, if you're anything like me, you have passed judgments like this, maybe even this morning. I need a savior. And you need a savior. And for us to live in the community that, that God has created for us as followers of Christ here and now in this world, and then for, for everlasting, we need to confront the reality that you and I need a Savior. We are guilty and we need a Savior. And that is good news this morning as we head into 2022, that you and I need a Savior. The world would say that you are unsuccessful because you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstrings. You need something and you're not self-sufficient. But James is teaching us, no, 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 no. We are different in Christ. The reality that we see our need is what brings us salvation. The reality that we realize that we're not self-sufficient and that we actually cannot carry out the law that the creator has given brings us to the, to the truth that we have a savior and that savior is good and has come to us and has shown us the lesser ones mercy and that his mercy has triumphed in our lives and has triumphed over the judgment that we deserve by his work, by his grace. And so let's close on this. James brings up the royal law, and this is a bit of the practical piece of going, okay, here's the issue. I see the issue. I see how in my life this issue is confronted. I see the reality that I need a savior, and I see the reality that, that, that Jesus has gone down the, the social ladder and has come and rescued me to be my savior. How do I move forward in living out the gospel in, in, in the gospel work in my life. James brings up the royal law. And he brings up this royal law after he brings up verse 8, which 
he's talking about the reality that to do that, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit, that God has put in us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that he has saved us and that he is, is guaranteeing that we belong to him. And this Holy Spirit is not simply um, just someone that we just exist with, but, but the Holy Spirit is a power source. It's the spirit of Christ that lives in you and I and enables us to obey and to live as Christ. And so he says, this royal law, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live out this royal law. Well, what is this royal law? To love your neighbor as yourself. It's royal because the foundation of all of the other laws rest on it. And it's royal because the king has said it to us. Christ, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? What did he say? Said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he said the second one is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. And he says all of the law and the prophets hinge on these two commandments. And so so the first part of loving the Lord with all of our hearts, James is appealing to them, this is what you believe Now look to the second, the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Learn to live in a way of loving your neighbor the way that you want to be loved. Speaking to your neighbor the way you want to be spoken to. Caring for the needs of your neighbor as you would want your needs cared for. This is a big one. Sharing your abundance with your neighbor as you would want your neighbor to share your, their abundance with you. He's calling us to live in this way and, and, and please hear this if, if you don't hear anything else this morning. What, what James is not saying is go out there and just try real hard and make it happen. He's saying remember where your first, the first commandment, remember where your hope and your trust is planted, that it is in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Spirit of God to lead you to love your neighbor as yourself. Warren Wiersbe says when asking the question, who is my neighbor? He says, that's not the right question. Who's my neighbor? He said, the right question is, to whom can I be a neighbor? My neighbor is the one that is in my radius, is the one that's in need that I come upon. Learn to love and live out this royal law. And that is the type of principles and the foundation of what our fellowship in this room at Grace Prez and our fellowship as Christians in this world can look like. I'm going to close with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you know who he is. If you don't, he he died in a concentration camp uh, during World War II. Um, A Christian who was in the U.S. when World War II began to break out. 
and uh, chose to go back to his home country of Germany instead of staying safe in the U.S. as many hoped he would, and, and he pleaded with them to stay and write and learn and teach. And uh, he said something to the effect that I can't do that here and not go over to my home country that's in need and wait this war out and then try to go back to my home country and try to teach. I need to go love and be with my people. Well, he's quoted as saying, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's a powerful, powerful quote. Listen to that again. When Christ calls you, he calls you to, he calls you to come and die. And I want to leave on that note this morning as we look at James, as we look at him counseling and teaching this early church and how James is counseling and teaching us here at Grace Prez. When Christ calls you to come to him, he's calling you to die to your old life and to begin to live a new life that is different in the kingdom of God. And in doing that, it changes how we look, receive, care for each other. It changes how we live our lives here with community with each other and how we live our lives as believers out in this world. It looks like the royal law. It looks like not showing partiality. It looks like becoming a neighbor. It looks like being the aroma of Christ where we are, not because we're gathering and mustering up the ability to do it, but because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and I. And I'm close with that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have come and you have called us and you have called us to come and, and bid us to come and die. Uh, Lord, we hold on to the rules of this world. We hold on, on to the priorities of this world. We hold on to um, the ways of this world that we think give us life, that we think promote us, that we think give us uh, the satisfaction that we desire, and yet we are constantly disappointed and left with our hands wide open, missing whatever satisfaction we thought was coming our way. God, I pray as we move into 2022, we would take to heart your scripture as you teach us to learn to live the Christ life, to learn to trust in you and to love others as we love ourselves, to live uh, differently than the ways of this world, but yet to love those that are in this world for your glory. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.